My name is Rick Renner, and I am seated in the Bulletarion in the ancient city of Hierapolis in the Roman province of Asia. You say, what in the world is a Bulletarion? Well, it comes from the Greek word bole, which means to counsel. When it becomes the word bulletarion, it's the place of counselors. And this was the meeting place for the city council. And the city council of Hierapolis met here regularly. Every old Roman Greek city had a bulletarion, a place for city counselors. And they always met regularly to discuss the problems of society. They talked about taxation, laws, but they also talked about what to do with the youth what to do with marriage problems and alcohol addiction, all kinds of problems in society. And I'm telling you, the first century was dark. There was a lot of problems. But when you read what the Apostle Paul wrote about what's going to happen at the very end of this age before Jesus comes, it makes the first century look pale in comparison. The Apostle Paul told us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, now the Spirit speaks expressly. That word expressly is the Greek word retus. It means the Spirit speaks emphatically, clearly, unmistakably, leaving no room or shadow of doubt. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prophesies at the end of the age, just before Jesus comes, demons will run rampant in the world. And when they do, they will bring all kinds of ills and problems to society. And because we're living at the end of the age, in the very time the Holy Spirit was talking about, we need to know how to navigate these times. We don't have to be a victim to the times. We can overcome them. We can live in the power of the Word and the power of the blood and the power of the Spirit. That's who we are and we're ordained by God to live victoriously now in the very end of the age. Early on in this bulletarian, they were trying to figure out what to do with society. But we have the Bible as our guide. And if we'll obey the Bible and do what it tells us to do, we can live victoriously for Christ in any age and in any season. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. I've been waiting for you because today we're going to jump right back into Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1 and pick up where we left off in the last program. We're looking at Christ's message to the church of Ephesus. Ephesus was such a powerful church, yet it had very serious problems. And Christ addressed those problems in Revelation chapter 2. And what he said then is exactly what he's still saying to us today. So we need to hear what Christ said to them, apply it to ourselves, and do what Christ says in Revelation chapter 2. We're going to pick up in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. It's going to be great. Don't miss one minute of this broadcast. But I want to remind you that I'm offering you my series called Christ's Message to Ephesus. It's a 10-part series based on these programs with a study guide that's filled with all the Greek words, all the definitions, the points, the principles, everything that we've covered in these broadcasts. Wow, it is just amazing. You can use this for your own personal study, a study with someone else, or studying a Bible study group. It really is wonderful, and I want you to order it. I believe that you'll be blessed because of it. And we're also offering my book called 
a light in darkness. Seven messages to the seven churches. Look at this. It is an amazing book. You know, when I wrote this book, I made a decision. This was a book I was going to write for me. Every other book I've written for everyone else. I said, if I wanted to buy a book on this subject, what would I want to be in this book? And that's how I wrote this book. And that's what I put into this book. It is 785 pages of amazing information and revelation. In fact, I really don't know where you can find all this information in a single volume. It is really a treasure. I even use it. You say, Rick, you use it and you wrote it. It's a big book. I can't remember everything I wrote. And it's filled with so much information that I use it all the time. I use this as a resource and that's how you'll use it as well. And it's very beautiful. It's full color. Many people just put it on their coffee table, flip through its pages and enjoy it because it really is a coffee table book. Look at this. It is just gorgeous. Your eyes will enjoy it. It'll be a feast for your eyes and it will be a wonderful meal for your brain and your spirit. This will really take you into the world of the New Testament. That's what it says on the back of the book. Step into the world of the New Testament as Rick Renner's book transports you into the ancient cities of Ephesus and Smyrna to explain the relevance of Jesus' message to those churches then and why those messages are still relevant for the church today. Wow. It is just amazing. Listen to what one scholar says. It's written on the back of the book. It's hard to surprise or impress me on this subject, but I can honestly say that I was deeply impressed with this book. I recommend it to my students and to future historical guides in Turkey. That was by a professor of history in the ancient city of Izmir, which was the ancient city of Smyrna. No one would know better than that man. I just believe this book will be a blessing to you. Wow. But today we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday. But we're going to begin first in Revelation chapter 1. And in Revelation chapter 1, we've seen that John was on the Isle of Patmos. And while he was in the cave on Patmos, he received a visit from Jesus. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. We've seen that this word, I was, is taken from the Greek word, genomai. The word genomai describes a transition from one realm into another realm. It also carries an element of surprise. So you could translate it like this. I don't know how it happened. It completely took me off guard. I could never replicate it or duplicate this experience in my life. But in some way that I can't explain, I found myself transitioning from one realm into another realm. John in one moment was in the cave in the next moment, he had crossed that line that separates the natural realm from the spirit realm. And John says, I transitioned into the spirit. Now, the King James Version says, I was in the spirit, capital S. But there's no capital S in Greek. The Greek simply says, I came to find myself in a spiritual dimension. So one moment, John's in the cave. The next moment, in some way, he doesn't know how it happened. Genomai. He came to find himself transitioning and finally being in a spiritual dimension. And in that spiritual dimension, he says, I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, without seest, write in a book and send to the seven churches which are in Asia. Then Christ mentions the seven churches. 
Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then in verse 12, John said, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. John turned to see Jesus. He knew it was Jesus because he knew the voice. That's why the verse says he turned to see the voice that spake with him. And in fact, it's so beautiful because in Greek, it was the voice that was conversing with him. This voice was speaking and speaking with him. In fact, in verse 12, when Christ said, I am Alpha and Omega, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the Greek means Christ was saying and saying, I am Alpha and Omega, I'm Alpha and Omega, I'm Alpha and Omega. Christ was really declaring who he was to John. And John recognized the voice. He remembered that voice. And he turned to see the voice because he knew that if he followed the voice, he would see Jesus. And when he turned to see the voice that spake with him, he saw one like unto the Son of Man. He had the form of the Son of Man. But yet in Revelation chapter 1, he looked so different. That's why this is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation, the Greek word apokalupsis. Apo means away. The word kalupsis describes something veiled. But when you put the two words together, it means to remove the veil, to pull the curtains apart. This view of Jesus, which had previously been, been obstructed from John's eyes, now he saw. It was like the curtains were supernaturally parted, and John saw characteristics and features of Jesus that his eyes had never seen before. It's not a new Jesus. This was just the view of Jesus that John had never before seen. It took a divine revelation for John to see this. And he saw Jesus standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, standing stationary. The word midst, the Greek word mesos, which means right in the heart or right in the very gut of the seven golden candlesticks, which are representative of the seven churches in Asia. Christ was not distant from them, even though they had problems. He was not ashamed from them. Christ was standing in the midst of them, proud to be in the midst of them. And notice the first thing that John saw about Christ as Christ was standing in the midst. He said, Christ was standing there, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot. The word foot describes the naked foot with no shoe. A garment all the way down to the bare foot. This is the clothing and the attire of the high priest, which is listed in Exodus chapter 28. Now, when we come to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Christ has a strong rebuke for five of the seven churches. And the two churches that receive no rebuke are also troubled churches. All of these churches are troubled churches. Yet when we see Christ in Revelation chapter 1, we don't first see him coming with a sword or with bronze feet of judgment. The first thing we see is Christ is standing in the midst of the church as a great high priest. He is not standing in judgment. He is not standing waiting to exact punishment, but he is standing as the great high priest clothed with a garment all the way down to the foot. This is the clothing of the high priest described in Exodus chapter 28. Christ is standing in prayer for the church. He is interceding for the church. And I want to tell you, Christ is still praying for the church today. 
Christ loves the church. Christ is praying for the church. And if Christ prays for the church, we need to pray for the church. But now let's go to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. And in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write. We've seen that this word angel is a Greek word angelos. It described the pastor, the pastor or the messenger or the overseer of the church. Unto the pastor or the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I want to focus again on that word walketh. It is the Greek word peripatel, and the word peripatel means to move your feet, to walk around, to walk circles around, to habitually walk in one area. It's the vicinity where you live. It's where you are every day. And here we find that Christ is regularly walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Perry, he walks circles around the church. The word patel means to walk. He actually comes inside the church. Here the verse says he walks in the midst, the Greek word mesas. Christ is walking around the church, taking an outward view. And because the outward view is not good enough, Christ says, I'm coming inside. And Christ comes into the very midst of the church. That's what Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, the Greek word mesos, he comes right into the heart, right into the very gut of the church. And Christ habitually walks there. He strolls there. It's his place of residence. Christ loves the church. He loves it so much that in this verse, he calls it his golden candlesticks. The word golden being the Greek word krusos, which in the first century was the most valuable commodity that there was. Nothing was more valuable than gold. And by using this word, Christ says, to me, the church is gold. There's nothing more precious than the church. Now, from our side, we usually see the very human side of the church. We see the church with its problems. You may see inconsistencies. You may be disturbed by the carnality of the church, the lack of spirituality in your church or in the church. We can see all of the flaws, all of the defects, and the church does have problems. There is no doubt about it. Even in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, all seven of these churches had problems. Ephesus had left its first love. Smyrna was suffering persecution. The church of Pergamum had false doctrine. It had the doctrine in the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The church of Thyatira was a very troubled church. It was led by a woman named Jezebel. Jezebel was seducing the people inside the church. The church of Sardis was a very troubled church. It had a name that was alive, but in fact, Jesus said it was dying. The church of Philadelphia was a good church, but it was a very small church with just a little power. And the church of Laodicea was a very wealthy church. Christ was standing on the outside of the church to such an extent that he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come back in. Let me back inside the church. Christ was standing on the exterior of the church in Laodicea. So these are troubled churches. They had defects. But with all of their problems, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Christ still said they were golden. They were golden. Why? He paid for them with his blood. Christ gave his life on the cross for them. 
Christ was raised from the dead for the church. He sent the power of the Holy Spirit to the church. He ever lives at the right hand of the Father, interceding for the church. When Christ comes back, he's going to come back for the church. The Christ love for the church is beyond the ability to describe. And when we come to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, he doesn't describe the church as being defective, but he describes the church as being golden, even with all of its problems. In the view of Jesus, the church is pure gold. Wow. And in this verse, it's called golden candlesticks. And we saw in the last program that most of us, when we think of a candlestick, think of something like this. But that's not what Christ had in mind. Candlesticks like this were invented almost a thousand years after the New Testament. Almost a thousand years later. So this was not what he had in mind. What did he have in mind? The Greek word luknas, and the Greek word luknas is the Greek word which described a clay lamp like this. A small container which you could hold in your hand, you carry it from place to place, it had a handle, you could direct it in every, any direction where you needed to give light, it was filled with oil, it had a reservoir of oil inside, it had a mouth, a long wick was placed into the mouth down into the base of the lamp where it saturated the oil and then the wick was lit with fire and it would begin to burn and because of the oil it could burn for hours and hours and hours and because it had a little hole in the top it meant that when it ran out of oil you could refill it again and again and again and again. These lamps were very commonplace in the first century. They were in homes, they were in businesses, they were everywhere. In fact today even in Israel you just nearly put a shovel in the ground and dig and you're going to dig up an oil burning lamp. They're still in the earth all over the land of Israel because they were so abundant. And when Christ called the church a candlestick, it's actually the Greek word luknas. Here it's luknia, which is plural, but it described a lamp like this. Well, these lamps were fragile. If you grabbed them too tightly, you could break them. If you pushed them off the table, they were so fragile, they would be broken. But they contained oil, which was very valuable. No wonder Christ used this example to describe the church. Only the church, in Christ's view, is not fragile, is not clay like this. Even though we're made of fragile human beings, Christ says we're not a clay lamp, we are a golden lamp. Of course, we are the container for the Holy Spirit in the earth. We have a reservoir of the Spirit's power. And if we run out of oil, we can be filled again and again and again. We have a mouth, and if we will allow our hearts to be lit with the fire of the Holy Spirit through our mouth, we preach the gospel. It's through the human mouth that light shines in darkness. How else is God going to shine light in darkness except through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, which comes through the mouth of the church? And because we're in Christ's hands, He can direct us in any way He wishes to direct us. We are the church of the living God. Christ loves us. He interceded for us then. He's interceding for us now. We were golden to him then, and we're still golden to him today. Now, that's all very powerful. But listen to this. The next verse says, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2, I know thy works. Now Christ begins to get very specific with the church of Ephesus. 
This word know is the Greek word oida. Now listen carefully, I'm going to read from my notes. The word oida means to behold, to perceive. So it means Christ perceived their works. He beheld their works. To delightfully view, it can describe a scrutinizing look or the look with the intent to examine. To fully view, to experience, or even better, to know from personal observation. So what Christ is about to describe is not what he learned because somebody prayed. He didn't hear it from an angel. He uses the word oida, which means I've seen it with my own eyes. What I'm about to describe is a result of my own personal observation of you. Well, of course. We already saw in verse 1 that he had been walking in the midst of the church, the Greek word peripateo. He had regularly walked every day among them, and now after taking a scrutinizing view, he is going to give a report, and he begins in verse 2 by saying, I know. Here is what I have personally observed about you. I know thy works. And the Greek says a different. The Greek says, I know the works of you. That's the Greek grammar. I know the works that are unique to you. They make you different from any other church. And likewise, Jesus knows everything about your church that makes your church different from every other church. He knows everything specifically about you. As the Greek here says, I know the works of you, specifically you. The word works is a Greek word erga. It describes deeds or activities. It could refer to a person's occupation, one's labor, or to the things produced by someone's effort or life. It could describe labor so all-encompassing that it pictured a person's total actions, beliefs, and conducts. It is the equivalent of saying, I know everything about you. There's nothing about you that I do not know. I know, oida, from my own personal observation, I have beheld, I've taken a scrutinizing look, I have looked, I've seen it with mine own eyes, and now I'm going to tell you what I know about your works, the works of you, specifically you, all of your activities, everything you do, nothing has escaped my attention. I know everything there is to know about you. Well, if that was true of Jesus then, it's still true of Jesus today because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What Jesus did is what Jesus still does. If he knew the church then, he knows the church now. There's nothing that he does not see. Nothing escapes the attention of Christ, who is the head of the church. Then in Revelation 2, 2, Christ begins to very carefully describe details that he knows about the church of Ephesus, and he calls on them to repent and to make a few things right. We're out of time, but I'll be back in just a moment. The Bible comes to life like never before with Rick Renner's book, A Light in Darkness. Step into the world of the New Testament as Rick Renner transports you to the ancient cities of the early church, revealing the relevance of Jesus' messages to the church then and why those messages still resonate for his church today. Rick reveals insight into the ancient world and the disturbing realities the early believers faced as the church began to flourish in a pagan world with unsurpassed detail. 
fascinating insights, and historical context, you'll have a greater appreciation and understanding of Scripture and how you should interpret it for today. This beautifully bound, 800-page, full-color biblical resource can be yours for $80. Features on-location photography with added artwork and illustrations to enhance the in-depth scriptural teaching that makes the New Testament come alive. When you call or go online today, you can also get Christ's message to Ephesus, an in-depth 10-part teaching series that delves deep into the message Jesus gave to the Ephesian church. The church of Ephesus was a successful church on the outside, but they had drifted from their first love of Jesus. Available in digital or physical format, starting at just $20. Rick uses this teaching series to remind you to return to your first love of Jesus. A light in darkness and Christ's message to Ephesus. Call now or go to renner.org to order. Friends, this is Rick Renner. Now, right now, I'm in the interior of the Moscow Good News Church. It is quite an amazing place. When you walk through this building, it's so beautiful, and it testifies to the grace of God and the provision of God and the giving of our church and of our partners. We built this facility debt-free, and because of that, the Moscow Church has never had the burden of monthly payments. All of our funds have been released to do the work of the gospel. And now we need to do that in Tulsa, and I call this Phase 3. And I'm asking you today to pray about joining us as part of the giving team for Phase 3, which is paying off the Tulsa facility. And the reason we want to pay it off is because then it will release funds for us to take the teaching of the Bible to the ends of the earth. And dear friend, right now, the Bible is so needed. And I know that that's my heart and that is your heart. And together, we can take the Bible to the ends of the earth. So please pray about joining us for phase three to finish paying off the Tulsa building. And I want to say thank you in advance. We're looking at Revelation 2, verse 2, where Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus, and he says, I know thy works. We've seen that that word know is the Greek word oida, which means to know from personal observation. What Jesus knew about them, he did not discover because somebody told it to him in prayer. An angel didn't report it to him. Jesus was walking in the midst of the church, peripateo. He regularly, every day, was frequenting the church, walking among them, strolling among them, walking around them, walking in the very midst, the Greek word mesas. He was right in the very gut of the church. And now when you come to Revelation 2, 2, Christ says, now let me give you a report. Let me tell you what I know about your works. That word works is a Greek word erga. It describes all their deeds, all of their activities, and as we've seen, the Greek says, I know the works of you. It's very specific. I know the works that are unique to you that make you different from anybody else. I know everything specific to you. And Christ then be began to describe what he knew about the church. And he called on them to make some changes. In fact, he called on them to repent. It is so powerful. Don't miss anything in this series because it will make a difference in your life. But I'm offering you my 10-part series called Christ's Message to Ephesus based on these programs with a wonderful study guide. And we're also offering my book called A Light in Darkness, Seven Messages to the Seven Churches. Order it. But let me pray for you. Father, we thank you that you know everything about us. There's nothing about us that you do not know. 
And Lord, we ask you to address those issues in our life that you want us to change. And thank you that you still think we're golden in spite of us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4. It says, where the word of a king is, there's power. Let God's word release its power in your life today. And I'll see you in the next program. Renner Ministries is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through every available media to the uttermost parts of the earth. Discover the many ways you can help us make a difference in lives around the world with the Word of God. We invite you to partner with us in teaching, strengthening, and rescuing lives for the glory of God. Together, we can make a difference that will last throughout eternity. 